Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. My name is Ben Olson. I'm in Washington, D.C. Today uh, I am with Nathan Fox in, I'm guessing, L.A.? Yes, Los Angeles. Wonderful. Things are good? Things are very good. Things are extremely busy, dude. I've been doing like, I think I have like almost 30 hours worth of tutoring this week, (laughs) which is just like not usual for me at all. Um, So I don't know. Everybody this year decided to prep for the LSAT at the exact same time. Yeah, I'm getting that sense too. I'm almost wondering if, um, I feel like there are more people who are trying to squeeze it in for September than last year. I don't know. Like at this point, I feel like there are more people who are kind of like, okay, I'm going to take it now in December. So they were signing up, but more looking forward to December. I'm, I'm getting a lot more people who are kind of like, okay, I'm going to try to squeeze it in and finish by September. Do you get that or is it? It just weirdly seemed like the first half of the year, there wasn't as much going on. Like the business has always been really kind of lumpy, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's more business in the second half of the year, but this year, the first half there was like nothing. And then the second half is like the floodgates. So Hmm. it's just, it's too much. I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying it. It's just like, um, yeah, wall of work that I've been doing. I'm not accustomed to it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I hope you get uh, sleep and stuff. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of sleeping here and there. Uh, I also have a TV recommendation. Um, I have been watching on Netflix. I have been watching a show called Ozark. And I know, Ben, you don't watch a lot of TV, but I just want to make sure the listeners are uh, tuning in to Ozark because it is a badass television show. I love it. Huh. So what's uh, the basic gist? Uh, it is Jason Bateman and it's basically breaking bad except for, uh, with money laundering instead of meth. And it's, uh, yeah, he just like, uh, in the first episode, I don't want to give too much away, but in the first episode, Bateman's uh, business partner rips off some really bad dudes and, uh, then they kill the partner and they threaten to kill Bateman and he basically has to beg for his life and say, Hey, listen, I will money. I will launder so much money for you guys if you let me live. And so he has to pick up his whole family and kind of go on the lamb and they, oh. they move, they move from Chicago to, um, very rural Missouri in the Ozarks. And, uh, they and start uh, like just reboot their life and uh, start trying to figure out all these crazy ways to launder money. Huh. Um, so yeah, it's really great. And Jason Bateman is just awesome. So, and he's also the director. So it's uh, really, Oh really? Yeah. yeah I think actually now that sweet. you're talking about it, I saw the trailer for this and now I'm mm. interested. I'll go ahead and watch it. The, um, the thing about Bateman is I always think of him as like a comedian. So it's sort of funny to see him in these roles, you know? So you watched Arrested Development. I no, I didn't actually. But oh, okay. I just I don't know why I think of Bateman as a comedian. I'm just thinking of various movies that he's been in. It seems like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean he was hilarious in Arrested Development, but he you know, he was a very straight man in a very not straight show in Arrested Development. And he, he has that same thing. He's got just kinda like I mean, he's he's just on the brink of death the entire time. You know, he's like they he could that he could be killed at any moment, huh. and he kind of knows it. But he still has this just sort of like he's so smart, you know, and you could just kind of tell that he he can see that it's all just absurdly kind of funny, even though it's gravely serious all the time. <laughs> so it's a, which cool. is a lot like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was kind of that was I found Breaking Bad to be hilarious, uh, mm-hmm. even though it was also like super dark and scary. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, I'd love to hear what the listeners think if if people are watching Ozark. Although I've only watched four episodes so far, so don't ruin it for me. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so no real news since last week, right, in LSAT land, except for the fact that uh, Court- Courtney Kardashian is now planning to go to law school. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I didn't am hear not that joking. One. Wow. I awesome. saw that I saw that on Twitter thanks to your advice to get my news from Twitter. So um you know she is probably not too far from me if she wants to come to Marina Del Rey and get uh LSAT tutoring, she definitely can. I am not traveling to her. So if she if she wants to come to me, I will be happy to tutor Courtney Kardashian for the LSAT. Okay, yeah, good to know. Um hopefully you'll give her a good healthy dose of uh rethinking as well right well i mean if she has unlimited money then i don't really care about trying to talk her out of going to law school (laughs) not not because i want to get rich just i i i don't care when people have so much money and they don't mind you know wasting it um then law school doesn't it's who cares whatever for her you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars, she can just uh whatever she does what does she do release another movie or, or release another internet video ah, who knows what she does who knows but snapchat i would still I feel like it's a waste of time but i guess if that's what she wants to do hey you can do it oh she'll hate it and drop out immediately i mean there's you know although you know she's got uh, lawyers in the family or at least one so yeah yeah maybe she's got it maybe she's gonna be brilliant a brilliant lawyer she'll be uh, part of the next oj defense team <laughs> Yeah, wasn't her dad? Her dad was on that team, right? That was yeah. That's I think the whole that's deal, like, right? kind yeah. of partly what I you know. I was gonna. I almost said I wish I knew more, but actually I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's what kind of maybe brought the Kardashians into like the light of fame, or maybe not. I, I have think, no idea. I think. Papa Kardashian was already like pretty famous before defending OJ. That would make I th- sense. I, mean, I think there were several other, hire. yeah, high profile, uh, high profile Hollywood, um, you know, murderers and <laughs> uh, pedophiles and other things that he had already worked on before <laughs> uh, being part of the getting off, getting OJ a clear murderer off. Um, Man, OJ was a long time ago, huh? Our listeners probably, I bet a lot of them weren't even alive when OJ was uh, on the run. Yeah, when did that happen? Because I do remember watching that on TV. Dude, I want to say I was in high school, so I think it was like in the 90s. It it was like early 90s, I think. 92 or something like that. Yeah, because Rodney King and all that stuff, that was like, it it had to be, uh, yeah, like early 90s. So definitely before some of our listeners were born. Hmm. <laughs> oh, you're, so you're pretty close here. It says it was 1994. Okay. Yeah, that's the year I graduated from high school. So um, perfect. Yeah. OJ Simpson on the, on the run in a white Ford Bronco, just leading the cops on a low speed chase through the LA freeways. <laughs> It was it was captivating, partly because it was slow. He was leading the cops on an LA on a chase through the LA freeways because he totally didn't kill his wife. Yeah, he was just and panicking. He was just freaking out. So he didn't know what to do, and 
Yeah, that's amazing. Boy, he turned out to be psycho, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He went he went full psycho. Wow. Well, here's here's a question for our listeners. How many people want to go to law school so they can become like Papa Kardashian? They want to pick take up all these random like psycho cases. So that you can then have kids and one of them could release a porn video and get famous <laughs> because of that. <laughs> and all your other kids could do all sorts of crazy shit and end up with all of them on like Dancing with the Stars and 10 other reality shows. And yeah, boy. That, that's true bliss. That is life is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Living the true LA Hollywood lawyer dream there. Yeah. Amazing. All right. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, but we got a ton of email as usual. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll just jump in here to this first one from Cal. Uh, it It's kind of interesting. Uh, he asks about something we talk about all the time. And he says that we uh, haven't gone into depth into this topic. And I think we have. But anyways, he says, hey, guys, love your podcast so far. I like that qualification. <clears throat> I'll try to keep it short. Why do you guys suggest reading the passage before reading the question prompt? Uh, this is definitely related to logical reasoning. Why do you read the passage before you read the question prompt? Um, If you read the question prompt, that can prompt you to think about the passage differently and into the proper, and get you into the proper question type mindset. I've noticed that you guys hate reading the passage or the prompt first, but have never really gone into depth. Why? Thanks, Cal. You know, I feel like we have talked about this a lot and in depth. We've talked about it repeatedly, um, but I'm happy to talk about it again. And we have one more email that's buried down here on the agenda. Mm. And we might as well kill two birds with one stone here. This is a much longer email. Um, and Are so, you at it right now? Can you highlight yeah, it? Yeah, I'm at it. I can read it. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. I'll just I'll just read it, okay? Because it's sure. gonna be, it's a long defense of reading the question stem first, and oh, okay. we, Ooh, we might good. as well cover the whole thing at once, and then um, yeah. It says hi, thinking LSAT. Thanks for continuing to put out good content and answering my qu- my prior questions. I used to be Jabron from the car wash, but I've chosen a new moniker, Grant, the man who must be on stage. Cool. I write to defend STEM first and to get your opinions on, quote, skipping strategies. Okay, so that's another topic. What follows may appear at first to be your hated wall of text, but I humbly ask that you consider my points. This is well written so far, so I'm, I'm willing to excuse a well written wall of text sometimes. Except um, he's putting the periods and the commas outside the quotes. I don't know. I do he's... see that. Yeah, the, that's wrong. That is wrong. Unless but, he's um, writing from the UK, which would be great to hear that we have listeners. From across the sea. Yeah, that is, that's true. It, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, sorry. I no, digress. we do have listeners from across the sea. I, we haven't looked at that map recently of all of our listeners around the world, but we definitely have, have had listeners uh, Was it, in the UK. Yeah, yeah. isn't the holdout like the North Korea, basically? <laughs> I think yeah. that's what you said like a few times ago. You said we just don't have anybody from North Korea. Yeah. Or maybe we'll even to... we did have a few people. I was confused. I can't remember, but... Um, if you are writing in the UK, then putting your periods and your commas outside the quotes is fine. But here in good old America, where this lovely podcast is hosted, that is a no-no. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one, a defense of stem slash prompt first. 
STEM first has at least two significant advantages. Uh, by the way, no, it doesn't. Uh, this, I'm reading for, this is Grant, the man who must be on stage here. And I, this is his words, and uh, I disagree. But anyways. <laughs> warning. Yeah, warning. You don't want to be misquoted What at all. follows is wrong. All right. STEM first has at least two significant advantages. No, it doesn't. First, you know when you don't need to think about flaws because you're on a main point question. Second, you know with certainty whether the stimulus is supposed to present an argument or a set of facts. On main point questions, why waste time analyzing flaws in an argument when you need only to identify and understand the main conclusion? STEM first is plainly more efficient on these questions. Proponents of STEM first have responded to this point in two ways. First, they say that they occasionally glance down to the STEM after reading the argument. Second, they say they just know when the question is asking for the main point and conclusion. Wait, hey, sorry, I, I yeah. hate to interrupt you, but can can instead of referring to these things as stems, oh and yeah, stems, stem and stem, yeah, it's totally. very confusing. Absolutely, I mean, uh, especially for those probably who are listening. Right. So c- maybe passage. stem is going to be the question part, and yeah, st- uh, passage we will say for the stimulus. Some people mm-hmm. call it the little the paragraph part. We'll call that the passage. Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks, Ben. Yeah. Um, okay, so reading the question stem first is plainly more efficient, says Grant on these questions. Proponents of reading the passage first have responded to this point in two ways. First, they say they occasionally glance down to the question stem after reading the argument. Second, they say, I don't know who this they is, but second, they say they just know when the question is asking for the main point or conclusion. The first response is an admission of reading the question stems stem first's advantage on this question type. Cheating by going to the question stem before fully analyzing the argument betrays the uh, passage first principles. Okay, First of all, I don't ever that's not part of our argument, right, Ben? Uh no, I mean I can see how this can play out in practice. So, I'm willing to take that on and accept that as a possible outcome on occasion. Um and still I disagree with it, but Yeah, well, what I might do is if I read the whole passage and I don't think I saw a conclusion, I might glance at the uh, I might glance at the question stem after reading. So I've, I've read the whole passage and then I think, oh, it's probably, it feels like a must be true question. I'll glance at the question stem and it is a must be true question. And then I know I don't need to like really look for an argument because it's just a must be true. Yeah. So but, wait, let, let's stop right there because that's kind of, I think he, this is where he'd be jumping up and down and saying, aha, you're a cheater. You're, no, no, I'm you're, not. you're actually reading the question stem first rather than the passage no, in, Grant. in essence. No, I'm not, Grant. No, I'm not. I I read the whole thing and I didn't find a I didn't find a conclusion. I think I I'm actually addressing his second point here, but uh if I read the passage and it's like there's no conclusion there, then I go, "Oh, it's probably a must be true." And I read the question stem and it turns out to be a must be true. And it, that's and not reading the question stem first. I read the passage first. Well, and here's here's the thing. Cuz I think what what Grant would say is, hey, you're taking you're using the question stem to help you analyze the passage. Here's where I think the huge advantage comes into play. When people read the passage and like the example you're giving, think that, hey, this sounds like a must be true question. I don't see any conclusion here. Um it seems like a bunch of fun facts about, you know, whatever we're talking about, pillowcases. 
and I don't didn't really see any reasoning there. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and you, you think that, right? And you look down, and it turns out to be a must-be-true question, and you go on and you answer the question. You, you know that you're on the right track. But when, yeah. when it then asks you, <laughs> you know, which one following if true most strengthens the argument, you're like, what the? I didn't think it was an argument. This doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it sends a clear message to me yeah. that I didn't read it carefully enough or that I missed something, which is a very important kick in the head. So many people go into these questions because they read the question stem first, knowing that the question is a flaw question, for example, right? They know it's a flaw question, so they know the argument is flawed. So they read the passage, and then I say, well, what do you think of the argument? Well, I think it's horrible. Why do you think it's horrible? Well, it's flawed. Why is it flawed? I don't know why it's flawed. It's just bad. You, yeah. That is the same as not knowing that it's a flawed argument. Like It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter if you think it's bad, if you don't know why it's bad. You didn't come to that ar- you, that conclusion on your own. You came to that conclusion because the stem prompted you into knowing that it must be flawed because it's asking you for the flaw in the argument. Here's the problem, though. Now, <laughs> you think that you have this like advantage because you know the argument is flawed, you actually have a disadvantage because you have tricked yourself into thinking that you know more than you actually know. So if yeah. I read an argument and I'm like, hmm, seems reasonable enough to me, and then it says, which one following if true best describes the error in reasoning, I'm like, okay, full stop, figure out what the conclusion is, what the premises are, why don't they prove the conclusion? There is clearly something I missed as I was reading in a way that I thought was careful, and so I need to be even more careful, whereas most people, they read it and they go, oh, I know it's flawed, therefore I'm now somehow ready to go into the answer choices. You need that kick in the head without having any idea what type of question it is. Yeah, I agree. You need to be reading every argument critically. You need to be reading every word on the page critically. And if you, there's just so many times where I answer the question after reading the first two sentences of the passage anyway, mm-hmm. you know, I, they, they can make a flaw after two sentences and that's the answer. Yeah. It's just like, yep, that's going to be the answer. And if, if, if I had read the question stem and it had told me that there was going to be a flaw or something, that doesn't help me. I, I, yeah. so <laughs> These two points here, it's like the first is he's accusing people of not really truly reading the passage first. He's accusing them of cheating and actually glancing down. And I don't think that's, I mean, that's not us. That's that's mm-hmm. not, I don't know who you're, who you're talking about there, Grant, but you're not talking about, about so me. You're talking about, so like when people read like half the passage and then glance down or something? I don't know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then, the, okay. So second, they say that they just quote, no, when the question is asking for the main point or conclusion. Um, the second response, the purported ability to just know is dubious. In any case, it does not apply to those who lack this magical power. Well, uh, okay, it's, I'm going to tell you, um, I, I guess I can only speak for myself and for, you know, hundreds of students who also feel this way, but this is not dubious. <laughs> this is a real, <laughs> this is a real thing. And so it's apparently dubious for Grant, but then again, Grant has been reading the question stem first for all these years. And Grant does not, you know, he's like, Grant, you're not very good at logical reasoning. 
because if you can't some if you can't be feeling it if you're not making these predictions while you're reading the passage well then of course you don't know what that feels like because you haven't learned to do it so um uh, you know, I'm sorry that you think it's dubious, but it's, it's not dubious at all. It's uh, it's very, very real. Yeah, it just comes from experience. And, of course, we don't predict it accurately every time. It's just, I would say, what, maybe a half the time, two-thirds of the time, it's kind of like, ooh, this feels like this is going to be a flaw question because that's a pretty glaring flaw, and lo and behold, it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they just ask you for the reasoning, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, I guess all you want to know is what happened, even though we could talk about what's wrong. Um, But all that familiarity, all that awareness just makes the answer choices so much easier to eliminate. And, you know, people talk all the time, like, I get lost in the answer choices. I'm getting, like, all twisted around, and I, I don't know what things are saying. Well, it all started two minutes ago when you quickly read through the passage and yeah. felt like you had a leg up because you knew what type it was. Yeah, let me let me give you an example of how this like can it can help in subtle ways. I think suppose the argue suppose it's like a strategy of argumentation question where all it's going to do is ask you to like describe uh, what happened in the argument. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Grant would be like, "Well, you don't need to look for flaws. Then you're wasting time if you look for flaws." Okay, but what about that wrong answer that? correctly describes everything in the argument except for it says that it uh blah 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 justifies the conclusion blah 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 yeah yeah or it's a it's a necessary premise for the you know main conclusion or something like that and you're like wait was it necessary or not that would depend on your understanding of the content not just a description of what happened yeah, if there's a flaw there, and you know, if they might just be asking you to, scri- to describe the argument, something that happened in the argument, it's not a flaw question, but there was a flaw in the argument that can totally happen. And if an answer choice says something, something, something shows, da da da, that is not the answer because that argument has not been proven because the argument has a big ass flaw in it. And if you didn't catch that there was a flaw, then you very likely might pick a wrong answer that otherwise correctly describes the argument, but it uh, over uh, describes the, like the validity of the argument. Mm-hmm. So you do need to understand whether the argument was good or bad, even if they're not particularly asking you to identify the flaw in the argument. Yeah. The other thing that I think Grant and anyone else who is a doubter out there needs to realize is that when you're reading critically and trying to figure out why the argument is horrible, um, Figuring out what the flaw is starts to come faster and faster and faster. It's not oh, yeah. something that we're spending years to figure out. Yeah. What happened is, <laughs> or that's confusing. Um, it's not like something we're spending a lot of time to figure out then. I mean, if we don't recognize the flaw and they're asking for it, then we're going to double down and try to figure out what the flaw is. But in a lot of cases, because you've practiced reading carefully and trying to figure out what the flaw is before you go into the answer choices, when you start reading these arguments, more and more, you'll just be reading them. And as you read the conclusion, you're like, whoa, hey, buddy, you can't reach that conclusion on the basis of the evidence you just gave me. Your mind is like screaming at you what the flaw is. 
that doesn't happen if you never practice figuring out it out on your own. If you just keep trying to go into the answer choices and look for something that sounds like a good flaw, like, oh yeah, that's a good point. That's like, that's a follower mentality. That's like, let me wait for someone else to propose a problem and be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like the problem versus a leader mentality, which is like, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with it. And then I'll tell the LSAT what I think. Yeah. Let me go on with Grant's defense. I, I want to give him his full his full due here because he, sure. he clearly spent some time and energy on this. Um, in addition to aiding efficient completion of main point questions, uh, reading the question stem first allows one to know with certainty whether the passage is supposed to present an argument or a set of facts. I grant the point that in an overwhelming majority of cases, it's obvious whether the stimulus is presenting an argument. But knowing that the stimulus is a set of facts because it's a must-be-true question or a resolve-the-paradox question eliminates any uncertainty. All right. Well, we got to stop right there because that's actually not true, right? There okay. are must-be-true questions that have arguments. And in fact, that's the correct true. answer is a necessary assumption sometimes. That's true. And there are resolve-the-paradox questions that are arguments. So this this idea that now... This is actually one more reason why looking at the question stem and being, oh, I know this passage must be a set of facts is damaging, right? Now you're going into it thinking something that may not necessarily be true. Does it matter that much? No, but I, uh, in some cases it doesn't because you just say, well, okay, it's an argument, but I'm still just going to accept everything as true and try to figure out what must be true on the basis of it. But yeah. when the correct answer is a necessary assumption, it would be really helpful to realize that you have premises and a conclusion and you're trying to figure out what the argument is essentially assuming necessarily. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. You're, you're starting to answer his next question, which is, uh, the main critique of STEM First is that it purportedly interferes with understanding the passage, which I totally believe is true. But I have not seen an adequate explanation of how. What is the particular process by which knowing the question type detracts from understanding? Um, well, I, my most common experience with it personally and in working with other students is that when people read the question stem first and then they realize that it's a, a role question or whatever, they become myopic and they just focus on trying to figure out what the role is of a particular sentence or claim or something like that. Yeah, all they're looking for is where that sentence is. They're not really reading everything. They're just only looking for that line. Yeah, and they might think that they're reading everything, but the reality is your understanding of the passage is something that is built step by step, and it happens with the first sentence, sometimes the first clause within that sentence, and then you get it, and you're like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying, and then you read the next sentence, and sometimes when you read the next sentence, you're like, well, wait, given what you said in the first sentence, and given what you're now saying in the second sentence— um, it seems like X must be true. And then I'll read the third sentence and the third sentence will say X. And I'll be like, aha, that's exactly what I thought. I know exactly yeah. what's going on here. Or sometimes the third sentence says, therefore, something a little different than X. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I thought yeah. it meant X and you're saying something a little different from X. That's the flaw. And I found yeah. it out. It's like your understanding 
of what's going on happens as you focus 100% on each clause and each sentence and really try to think what they're saying and what they mean and how you feel about that. And knowing that you're somehow at the end of the day going to have to figure out what role a particular claim is playing in the passage has no effect on like what you're ultimately should be doing. But if you start like focusing in on that prematurely, then you're not going to let yourself take the steps you need to get to the level of understanding that guarantees zero wrong. I really think this is a section where you can, like the games, get zero wrong every time. It's a science. There's a reason why every right answer is right and why the wrong answers are wrong. And you just don't know those reasons. And or you can't see them in the moment because you're not letting yourself understand what's really being said rather than what you think was being said. Yeah, I think people get so caught up in the technicalities of the different question types. I think that's a problem that that they just start thinking about, oh, this is a sufficient assumption question or, oh, this is a a strengthen question or, oh, this is a whatever. And it's like, you know, the truth is you're supposed to be the master of the argument. You're a lawyer. You're reading this argument. You're going to figure out exactly what evidence they have. You're going to figure out exactly what what they want. And you're going to think about whether they've proven it or whether they haven't proven it. And then they can ask you a variety of different questions. And essentially every time it's the same question. Just did you understand the argument? Do you really know what they said? Do you really know what's there? Um, you know, simple example. If A, then B. If B, then C. Therefore... And like, if you're reading it carefully, you're going, oh, so you're going to conclude if A, then C. No problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then the LSAT goes, therefore, if A, then D. Yeah. And you go, whoa, hold on a second. Easy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you could use that exact same argument to ask a strengthened question, a weakened question, a necessary assumption question, a sufficient assumption question, a flaw question. You, you could ask any question, basically. You could yeah. ask a main conclusion question. You could ask any question you want after that argument. But you just need to understand the argument. You got to understand what's missing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's the same question. It's like, I feel like when you read the question stem first, you're just doing a harder version of the test because, oh, I'm going to get all caught up in my technicalities of like, well, it's a strengthen question and there's different types of strengtheners and I'm going to be looking for these different types of strengtheners. It's like, mm. Okay, by the way, the strengtheners aren't in the passage. <laughs> the strengtheners emerge when you start thinking about the weaknesses of the passage. Yeah. Why do you want to know whose team you're on? It's better to not know whose team you're on. You're a mm. better lawyer if you don't know whose team you're on when you're reading this argument. Yeah. Right? You, you got to be in attack mode always. So Grant's first point here was, you know, it, it puts you into the proper uh, mindset or actually, wait, maybe that was our initial correspondence point. It was, huh? It was, I don't remember now. We actually. forgot. Oh, it's Cal. Cal said, if you read the question prompt first, mm. that can prompt you to think about the passage differently and into the proper question type mindset. Well, yeah. you know, the proper question type mindset is you need to read this shit and be very critical and expect that they're going to lie to you. Yeah. Because that's what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. if you can do that, then when you read an argument and it turns out that they didn't lie to you, you go, oh, I noticed that uh, your argument was actually valid. Bravo. Good for you. 
And then, you know, it turns out to be like a matching pattern question. And now you know that you're supposed to go find an answer that also is valid. Mm -hmm. But if you wouldn't have been reading it critically in the first place, you wouldn't have recognized that it was a valid argument. Yeah. If you if you would have been like, oh, this is a matching pattern question. So all I have to do is go into my super technical mode here and start matching up elements of the argument or whatever. You can miss that question so easily because maybe the wrong answer has all of the elements, but it also has a flaw. Yeah. Or maybe the given argument had a flaw, but you didn't catch it because you're not reading it critically enough. And then you pick a correct an- you picked an- you pick an answer that doesn't have a flaw. Yeah. So I think that's how it interferes with your understanding of the stimulus. It gets you into answering the question mode where you're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. You have to understand this stuff before you can start trying to do the uh, special LSAT maneuvering. Yeah. If you get there yourself, this is always 10 times easier. And it's not to say that we don't believe, or at least I, I, I definitely believe, and I'd be curious what you think, but I think you agree, um, that knowing the different question types, knowing what to do in the different question types matters. Like I for sure use my knowledge of the different question types to help me eliminate answers, to help me choose answers. I know exactly what they're looking for in a sufficient assumption question. I know exactly what they're looking for in a weakened question, a flawed question, a role question, whatever. But all that stuff comes after understanding. So it's like you understand what's going on, you figure out the problem, if there is one, and then you bring all that you know about that particular question type to bear and to help you decide between, you know, maybe the most tempting wrong answer and the correct answer. But that all comes after. 100%. You must know the difference between a necessary assumption question and a sufficient assumption question. You must know the difference between a flaw question and a weakened question. There's all kinds of technical stuff that you absolutely have to understand. But you also need to be the master of the argument. The lawyer in the room is going to know exactly what the evidence is and is going to know exactly what the conclusion is always. And you, you just you do that stuff first. And then it makes answering every one of the different question types just so much easier. Yeah. Not to mention, you're going to be answering. It's it's crazy. You know, the way I, I teach the new tests is I basically just like show up live in the classroom and, and teach it. When, when the new test comes out, it's like mm-hmm. exciting for me because I get to just like do the high wire act of teaching the answering the questions that I've never seen before. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a nerd and I've been, you know, <laughs> when you do this 40 hours a week for 10 years, then it's like you <laughs> you get pretty good at the like kung fu of it. Right. And it's mm-hmm. fun to practice. So. I love answering new questions that I've never seen before, but people are like, man, on this brand new prep test 81, this one was really hard. I just can't understand. And I read the first sentence and I know the answer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's because I'm just so tuned into the types of shit they always do. And it's like they, or, you know, not, maybe not the first sentence, but the first two sentences a lot on a logical reasoning question where it's like, well, they said this and they said this, And I predict they're going to say this other stupid thing. And then they're going to ask probably this type of question about it. Yeah. And it turns out that I'm right from like a mile away. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. How, how does that happen? I mean, of course it happens from a lot of practice, but it also happens 
I, there's no way I could have done that by only knowing the question stem. Mm-hmm. How <laughs> the question stem isn't going to help me. Yeah, it's it's always the argument. You you have to understand the argument. All right, I don't know. But you want to add anything to that before we sign off? For well, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a tangent, so not so much to Grant's point, but uh, something I was thinking. That's about all we do on the show. <laughs> it is definitely related to the test, and that is that. Um, I know just something I've been thinking about more lately as I've been working with uh, people one-on-one. So we talk about the passage. We make sure that, you know, we totally understand what's going on. And then we look at the question stem and we're like, hey, okay, so uh, this is whatever type of question, maybe a necessary assumption question or whatever. And then we go through the answers. And as I have people explain to me the wrong answers – and, you know, this has been happening for a long time. I've just been thinking about it more lately. But that is, they'll say something uh, about an answer choice. They'll say, hey, this is wrong for this reason. And I won't um, ever say whether they're right or wrong because I just want them to have no clue, you know, that they're on the right track or not. I'll just be like, okay, like I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they might get to the right answer, right? Like they're like, okay, so A is wrong, B is wrong, C is wrong. I'm going to keep D open. Oh, but actually E is better. I'm going to go with E. E is correct. And I'll say, look, you know, A is not really even a tempting answer. Um, but you said it was wrong because it's repeating a premise or something like that. You know, who knows? Wh- whatever they said. And I'm like, it's it's not repeating a premise. Read that sentence and then read what the original argument said. Do you see how these things are actually totally <laughs> compatible with each other, but different claims? And I feel like uh, in these circumstances where people are like, okay, this is wrong because it's repeating a premise, and then they get rid of it and they move on and they uh, choose the right answer – they don't realize what's going on. And in another circumstance, that might be the answer that they choose or eliminate for the wrong reason, you know, and it it reflects uh, a misunderstanding of the test. And I feel like these incorrect descriptions of why an answer choice is wrong happen more frequently when people don't understand exactly what the passage is saying. It it stems from like, uh, you know, an oversimplified interpretation of a sentence or something like that. They think it says all when really it says some, which seems like a surprising misinterpretation, but it actually happens quite frequently. People will, it will say, you know, many um, artists don't like this type of painting. And so they're like, okay, so artists don't like this kind of painting. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> what you just said was very different from what the passage said, which means there could be a lot of artists that do like this painting. And now that you have this oversimplified version in your head, when you get into the answer choices and you're getting rid of wrong answers, you might be getting rid of them for very technical or like you know, very strange reasons that don't actually have to do with the core element of that answer that makes it just dead wrong because of your misinterpretation, right? Like if you actually understood it, you're like, oh, pff, this is this is wrong for that reason. I think that's the real reason that the LSAT wants you to get rid of it, but you're getting rid of it for some technical reason, which actually is irrelevant. And now you think that's some way to get rid of answers in other cases when which it might not be. 
So in yeah. any case, a, a long sort of digression there, but it all comes back to understanding. Do you have a really clear picture of what's going on and thus you can see why things on a content level don't matter or do matter? Yeah, I think it's going to make you so much quicker at just dismissing the wrong answers, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. wrong answers are so wrong. They're just not even close. They're mm-hmm. they're they're just they're just terrible. It's like this is not on target. Yeah. I mean, you if you really know what's in the argument, then like at least half of the answer choices just start looking like absolute garbage. Where you start reading it and you're like, "Well, that's not what we're talking about." Mhm. <laughs> this is this is wrong because that is not what we're talking about. Yeah. And it's it's uh if you find, you know, that a lot of answers are looking good, it's a pretty good sign that you just didn't really understand what the argument is about. You, know, you, you didn't really sort out the evidence. You really didn't sort out the conclusion. You don't really know what's wrong with it. And then now all, all, all the answers start looking like they could potentially be on target because you just you didn't really know what's there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you could do an easier version of the test by having a better grasp on what the argument says. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to have as much of a grasp on the what the wrong answers say because you're just like, well, that's not we're not that's not what we're looking for and that's not <laughs> that's not helping. Yeah. This is this is not what we're talking about. Yeah. Um okay. So thank you, uh, Grant and Cal, for writing in again about the question stem. We are uh, both uh, doubling down on do not read the question stem first. Um, by the way, especially for uh, high scorers, uh, very high scorers, mm-hmm. if you're going to score over 170, I mean, I have just seen so many students who started off with Kaplan or whatever, and they've been reading the question stem first. And, you know, maybe they had like high natural aptitude for the test. So they were kind of in the one sixties right away. And then they just sort of struggled with the LSAT and they get like confused because they think it's like super, super technical all the time. And then I, if I can convince them to stop reading the question stem first and just start reading the argument first, they all of a sudden realize, Oh shit, that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just realize that these arguments are basically broken. And what we're basically talking about is, you know, why the argument is broken. And all of a sudden, you know, these people just end up in the one seventies because they, they just realize that there's, it's less complicated than you think it is. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's my number one critique of reading the question stem first is that it makes it seem like you're doing some highly technical thing and you, it, people just stop using common sense because they want to use these like fancy LSAT strategies instead of being a critical reader. Yeah. Uh, so that's Cal and Grant writing in about um, reading the question stem first. Should we just finish Grant's email here? Oh yeah. Um, I'll 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 keep reading. Well, because this is a different. We're shifting gears now to a different topic. Oh but, okay, sure um, yeah. Yeah, but Grant wants to know about skipping, quote, skipping strategies. It says, one prominent LSAT forum contains many advocates of practicing what they call a, quote, skipping strategy. Essentially, it means practicing a process for skipping questions so that you don't spend too many time on tough ones on a first run through and have enough time to take a second look at them later. In addition, a related point that several 170-plus students and tutors on that forum make is that one should move on from many LR questions the moment you are certain you have the correct answer without reading the other ones. The substance of the advice seems to directly counter 
uh, seems directly counter to thinking LSAT's emphasis to ignore time. What do you think about skipping strategies and moving on from LR questions immediately once you are certain of a correct answer? I suspect you'll be critical, and this is a point on which I would agree with you, but I wanted to get your full take on the air. Thanks for putting out good content, and I look forward to your response. Sincerely, Grant, the man who must be on stage. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we would be critical of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't skip anything. I mean, on the logical reasoning, you're not allowed. I don't think you're allowed to just to be like, oh, this one is a woo. That's a tough one. I'm going to I'm going to skip. I'm going to move on. Um, you, maybe you can do that on one question on the entire section. But if you do that twice the odds are you're going to be getting into harder questions anyway, as you get deeper into the section. And then what are you going to do? You're going to go back to that question later and do it again, essentially. Yeah. Like start over. That's going to take also, more Yeah. Also you get people who are holding the question. They're still like half their brain is still thinking about it while they work on the next question. I think we, I mean, we've talked about this before. You don't need to stay with a question indefinitely. You give it your best shot. You try to understand what's going on. You eliminate the answers that you know are wrong. And if you can't see the difference between two answers and rereading the passage doesn't help and comparing the answer choices word by word, looking for key differences doesn't help, then you choose one and move on. But your job at any given time is to work on the question you're on, give it your best, and then go to the next one and completely separate yourself from the first one and start focusing on the next one. And I feel like (laughs) this sounds too much like, again, like overcomplicating the test and trying to outsmart it. I mean, so many times people will read you know, reading comp passages. I mean, I guess we're talking about LR here, but um, and they'll feel like the passage is kind of dense and a little hard to understand, but they give it their best shot and then they start answering the questions. And they're like, oh, actually these questions are not that hard to answer. And that's the same in logical reasoning. The difficulty of the question depends on not only the passage, but also the answer choices that they decide to give to you. Yeah. And so in... I don't really know how you can know that it's a hard question until you're You've done already the like in the thick of it. And then yeah. you might as well just finish. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you've already like bent down and picked up this heavy ass box and you're staggering across the room with it. And yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> but you might as well just take it all the way to where its destination is before you put it back down. Yeah. I mean, why would you put it down in the middle of the floor? Oh, I'll come back to that one. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Go lift some other heavy shit and then come back to the heavy one. I just get it as far as you're going to get it. Get And yeah, it's not, we're not talking about like, I'm a hundred percent certain that I got this one, right? It's more like, do your best on it. What's the evidence? What's the conclusion? Can you think of something wrong with that? What's the, what's the question type? Can you make some kind of a prediction? Can you narrow it down? Can you get rid of the worst answers? Oh, you've got it down to a 50-50 now. Okay, um, compare those two. Uh, for this type of question, 
you know, do you have any thoughts about this? Like if it's, for example, a must be true question, maybe you'd want to pick the one that's a little bit weakly, more weakly stated. Um, or if it's a strength in question, maybe you'd want to pick the one that's a little bit more strongly stated. Uh, things like that can, can be, a, can be, a, you know, help you just pick one mm-hmm. and then you pick one and then you move on. And I don't think there's any point in reserving time at the end of the section to go back and work on that one again. I think you, you, you know, there's 25 questions here and you need to give each one of them your full attention. I'd rather you just give it your full attention once you've started to give it any intention at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're on the same page there. What do you think about this uh, moving on the moment you are certain you have found the correct answer without reading the other answers on the logical reasoning? What do you think about that? I think you're going to, I mean, it just comes down to statistics. In some cases, those people are going to be lucky and they will have found the correct answer and they will have moved on and that will justify their position. But there are also so many cases and I encounter them in class all the time where people are like, well, I really liked B. So I stopped and I'm like, wait, you stopped? You didn't read the rest of the answers? No, I did not. Well, uh, what do you think about E now? Well, E is pretty obviously the right answer. <laughs> and it's like, damn. So there's nothing I can do for you now. I can't help you understand the logic behind this. You already knew all of that. You just didn't read. That's it. Yeah. That's a yep. sad way to miss a question. And the reason we have to do that in LR and reading comp and not in games is that when you're dealing with multiple words <laughs> – which we are in these answer choices, there's always a chance that you might not fully understand exactly what that's saying, that you might have missed something or that they come up with something better, right? Sometimes um, you're like, if I understand exactly what this sentence is saying, I don't see how they could come up with anything better. But then you read the rest and you're like, wait, that sounds good too. Why is this one better? And you look back and you're like, oh, I don't know how I missed it, but that has the word not in it. It's the exact opposite of what I'm looking for. But when you're dealing with sentences that have 20 words in them, it's very possible to make silly small mistakes that are easily resolved when you're debating between two answer choices, but not if you're just choosing one. How much time are you going to save by not reading the remaining answer choices? Oh, well, that's a good point because you might save like 10 seconds. That's what I'm saying is that <laughs> you, you, you could save 10 seconds Okay, good. And then the next time you could save 10 seconds again. And then the next time you could save 10 seconds again. And the next time you could save 10 seconds again. And so four times you're like, yeah, oh, well, this is clearly the best strategy. Except for then you miss one because you did that. Or two. I, I, yeah. just, I think like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's that great of a situation. It's, it's dumb. It's, it's not a good plan. It, you, it, anyway, we don't take any time to read answer choices, right? I mean, it's like four out of five answer choices are wrong. My job is to kill answer choices. If an answer choice seems wrong, it's probably wrong. And so if I think B, oh, hey, listen, it's a sufficient assumption question and I predicted the answer and B says exactly what I wanted it to say. So B is now 99% the answer. Yeah. But you can just still skim C and D and E. It takes you 10 seconds and you eliminate them. 
But once in a while, you will read, it could be the very next answer, by the way, you know, (laughs) you thought it was B, you're about to not even read anything, but then you read C and you go, oh, whoops, wait a minute. C also exactly matches my prediction. Mm -hmm. How's that possible? Oh, shit. And you look back at B and you go, oh, no, the one word there that makes it wrong. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, boy, I'm glad I spent the extra five seconds there, 10 seconds to read that. It, I do it in class. I did it in class last night doing a, a logical reasoning question. And, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, right? So I'm trying to explain the, the concepts to people. And I, I was reading A or B or whatever. And I was like making my case. You know, I, I read it. I thought it was the answer. I started making my case for it. And then the kids are just like, yeah, but the answer is C though. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I go, oh, okay. And I go, yeah, but I, I'm actually like, that's fine though. Because in real life, I would have read that. I would have read the next answer. And I, and then I would have gotten myself into that sticky situation of, hey, there's two potentially good answers here. And I have to really read it a little bit cl- more closely. And, oh, okay. Now I can see how, boy, B is an awfully attractive trap. Yeah. It's not the answer. <laughs> well, also think about like all those strength and questions and weak in questions where you're looking for the answer that most supports the conclusion. And I feel like a lot of times on the harder ones uh, where people are debating between two answers, they're like, I just don't understand how A is wrong. And I'm like, well, you know what? You're absolutely right. A strengthens the argument, but C strengthens it more. So, yeah. um, you know? And here's why it strengthens it more. Think about the content. Think about the word strength. This says many, which just means some arbitrary number. We don't know exactly what that means. Right, right. It's not enough. And that itself is a valuable lesson. And sometimes I think people walk away from those and they're like, I feel like the test is sort of subjective. Like they thought this answer was better, but I think this answer is better. And I'm like, no, there's like concrete reasons in these answer choices why one is better than the other. And sometimes we just don't see that until we're comparing the two answer choices word by word. Right. Or uh, similarly, you know, you think you you like this and you read it. You're like, oh, well, that strengthens the argument. Definitely. But then you realize there's another strengthener and you start comparing the two of them. And you realize that the one you were about to pick can be read also as a weakener. Yeah. Yeah. You're like oh, actually, there's a little ambiguity here. Or it's relying on an assumption, and I didn't realize that I was kind of relying on that assumption, which is kind of a doubtful assumption now that I'm making it explicit in my head. Yeah, you realize that your answer would be the beginning of a strengthener, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, you you actually have, you were actually helping it a little bit in order to make it a strengthener. Yeah. In which case, it's probably not as good as one that you don't have to help. I love it. <laughs> I love it when the uh, when when students start making their assumptions explicit, right? And you end up realizing that you're making like three assumptions to help that answer. You're like, well, first of all, you have to assume yeah. that everyone likes this type of food. Right. Then you have to assume that because they like it, <laughs> they're gonna go buy it. And yep. then you have to assume that because they're buying it, they're going to run out. And th- by the time you list out all the assumptions they have to make to like have that answer have any sort of bearing on the conclusion, they're like, okay, 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 <laughs> enough. It sucks. But sometimes you just don't realize that. Your mind moves so quickly, it's trying to make sense of the world. And so it says, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is it. This would strengthen the argument. 
but in comparison to another answer, it becomes a lot easier to eliminate. The last thing I want to say here, and I know we've said this a million times before, but just to reemphasize it, is that when you read wrong answers and you decide that they're wrong, you don't have to read the entire answer, right? You read the first two words and you're like, whoop, this is going in the wrong direction. Or my favorite is when you have an if-then statement in the answer choice, right? Like let's say it's a strengthened question and the if clause starts out by saying the conclusion, right? Absolutely. Like it's like, oh, therefore John should buy new shoes. And answer choice C says, if John should buy new shoes. And I'm like, oh, I'm out answer. of here. Get the hell out of You know, this is ridiculous. Yep. And people are like, yeah, but this is relevant to the conclusion. I'm like, nope. it's saying if the conclusion is true and we're trying to prove that it's true. Well, this has no, this is totally. That's useless. right. That's right. It does not take very long to read wrong answers, to get rid of wrong answers. So if you like A, uh, A is probably the answer, but just take the 10 seconds, 15 seconds to make sure that you check off B, C, D, E. Yeah. Um, okay, that was Grant, the man who must be on stage. Thank you, Grant, for your thoughtful email. Um, next one. Yeah. Go uh, ahead. Let's see here. I'm going back up, going back to the top here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I hope James doesn't mind us using his name. Doesn't say not to. Okay. I'm a thirty thirty one year old guy that is committed to attending law school. I graduated college back in two thousand nine and had a rough go toward the end. During my last two years of college, I was forced to move back home to attend a local university while I took steroids and chemotherapy to get my disease, multiple sclerosis, under control. Um, This uh, cratered my GPA. I went from a 3.8 on track to graduate with honors from my program to a 2.93 juggling two jobs a week, 50-plus hours, attending school full-time, and regular doctor visits for both of my treatments. Fast forward eight years. I have my disease under control. I have a stable job, and I am ready to get on to the next stage of my life and pursue a dream I've always had, to attend law school and then work for the government. Boring, but it's always been my dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cool. All right. Um, I took my first practice test this weekend and scored in the upper 150s. Sweet. First, I'm assuming diagnostic. That's great. I've been, I have to preface this with that I have not allowed much time to study from first crack to test. And I've yeah. spent less than 20 hours studying. Um, not a big deal. People spend no hours studying before they take their first test. Um, I hope after more time I can crack the upper 60s. My goal is George Mason University here in the D.C. area. Sweet. GMU is a great school. Now to my main question. Will an honest and truthful personal statement help counter my poor GPA? Do you both feel that my drop in GPA is explainable to admissions? I did not drop due to partying or goofing off. Real life jumped up and bit me in the ass. I have a good job now, good references, and my life is stable. I am just afraid that one look at my GPA will automatically disqualify me from pursuing my dream. Thank you for any help or sage advice you can throw my way. I do greatly appreciate what you both do. Um, Quick answer, yes, uh, an honest and truthful explanation is not only helpful but necessary, right? They have to understand what happened here. Yeah, um, I... 
you know, your GPA is what your GPA is. And when they do your index calculation, you know, you're going to be on the bottom end, uh, GPA wise, you can counter that with a very strong LSAT score. Yep. Uh, so that is a necessary step, um, to get into a school like George Mason. I mean, what's it going to take Ben if he's clearly going to be under the 25th percentile GPA with a 2.9. Yeah. So he's got to probably get like at the 75th percentile LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just take a guess. You don't have to look it up. I don't know. Yeah. My guess for GMU is probably high 160s, which okay. is what he's talking about. Yeah. If you get to the high 160s LSAT score, they're going to be interested. They're going to take a look. And when they take a look and you write them an addendum explaining uh, multiple sclerosis and how that affected your grades and how eight years later you have the disease totally under control and you know, you've got this job uh, that's going well. Um, and if you're, you know, letters of recommendation show that your resume shows that it's like, you've, you've clearly gotten back on track. Um, and you had a very justifiable, you know, that's MS, that's no joke. And they know that. And yeah, I think an addendum, I don't think it needs to go on and on either. I think it can be, you know, a few sentences. Yeah. And uh, that, that when they read the addendum, they're going to go, Oh, look, look at this guy. You know, he's a, he's, he's, you know, he's like a diamond in the rough because mm-hmm. other schools, if they don't look closely here, they're going to think, Oh, 2.9, we can't admit him. But they look at you and they go, shit, he's got a 168. And he, he really is probably a very strong student. He had a 3.8 before he got hit with the MS and uh, that really caught, you know, that really, that crushed him. Um, the one, I got bumped by one thing in the email. There was mm-hmm. one point in this email where I went, really? What, what do you, you think? Uh, I'm not sure. What are you thinking? Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I have no reason to doubt James, but I'm also hyper skeptical. And I think the people reading these applications are going to be also hyper skeptical. Mm -hmm. And so when he's talking about moving home to take steroids and chemo to get his MS under control. And that's the reason why he dropped to a 2.93. I don't really want him to mention the two jobs and working 50 plus hours a week. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that muddies the water. And it just, I just, it seems, seems like too much. Mm-hmm. Like there's too it's much like, chaos. It's well, and it's like, wait a minute now, why were you attending school full time and really full time school and working 50 hours a week and chemotherapy? Mm hmm. Why didn't you put a hold on school for a little while if you could yeah. have or something? Yeah, Why didn't you take a job? One job. <laughs> it just, it's, it's like, um, I, you know, and James, I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar at all. Um, I'm just saying you might want to keep the story a little, a little more simple uh, to increase the chances that people are going to just, just, it's a, it's just a simple story. MS. 
<laughs> chemotherapy. Yeah, you, you drop those words and people start to go, okay, yeah, that's a hard situation. MS, chemotherapy, moved back home, doctor's visits, really crushed my grades. I had a really hard time getting my MS under control. I had to, I had to get the MS under control. You know, you could even say in retrospect, yep, that's what I, was I probably say. <laughs> should have put school on hold. Yeah. I would not talk about working 50 hours a week. If you're working 50 hours a week, then it, it like weakens my understanding of your, your like taking chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, cause the, the, the super cynic is going to be like, oh, well, how bad can the chemo be if you're working 50 hours a week? Yeah. Unless, of course, it was absolutely necessary for some reason. And then you could talk about that and, again, say, in retrospect, I should have balanced this out more. But yeah, we either need to know more or less. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just so much simpler to just go with one. Go with the – you've got such a big, strong, totally valid reason. Mm-hmm. Go with that reason and don't – I don't need to hear about the jobs, I don't think. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me, my, my two cents. I think it, it's a, just going to be an easier way, easier way to explain it. You know, you want to make it, you want to make it easy for these people to buy. And, and sometimes if you talk about too much of the details, then they start getting, they, you're going to get a, it's like overly complicated. And, and I just, yeah, I keep it. I think you can keep it simple here. So I, um, I tend to think of GMU, George Mason University, as uh, it's, a, it's a highly ranked school, but I still think of it as sort of an undervalued school, mm-hmm. um, partly because, uh, well, this is just speculation, but it's, it's known to be sort of conservative. So a lot of times people uh, here will say, oh, I can't go to GMU, that's conservative. I'm like, <laughs> all the more reason to go. If you're a liberal, you should go there and... Um, open yourself up to arguments that you're not used to hearing and um, whatever. But even then, like conservative when it comes to law schools is still pretty <laughs> liberal. So, yeah. So it's not like you're exposing yourself to something totally radical here. But anyways, um, so I kind of overestimated their 75th percentile. It's 164. So as long as he gets above that, I think he's he's got a good shot. Yeah, I mean, I would think if he gets above that, he actually should start getting some kind of scholarship help, really, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause Especially with his situation regarding the grades. So Yeah, he's he's going to be a 50 percentile candidate if he's a splitter. Mm-hmm. He'll be like a he'll be like in the middle of their candidates and if you're in the middle of their candidates, you should also be like in the middle of their scholarships, which I'm I'm just guessing, but Based on what I've seen lately, man, those 509 reports have some crazy information on them. Yeah, that's no, good. It's got the part-time, full-time. If you're interested in that, you can see the slight differences. Sometimes they're significant, but between those different numbers. And take a look at, you know, look at the 50th percentile scholarship grant, you know, and, and look, well, how many people at the school are getting scholarships? And then mm-hmm. look at what the, you know, look at what the middle of those scholarship grants is. And, uh, yeah, get yourself, make yourself a, uh, slightly above candidate, uh, slightly above average candidate. And you should be able to get like one of those middle scholarships at a school like George Mason. Yeah. Cool. By the way, last thing here, uh, James, you say you're in DC, obviously, uh, you should reach out, take a class, do something. Um, take advantage of good old strategy prep. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I've heard it's great. (laughs) 
uh, that is uh, Ben Olson in uh, Washington, D.C., guys. Strategy Prep. It's uh, strategyprep.com. You can uh, check out Ben's website if you want to learn more about his classes in D.C. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So next question? Yeah. Okay. That was James. Thanks, James. Um, here is Lily. Question number one. Wow. Color-coded email. Very nicely organized here. Mm-hmm. I think Lily might have heard our uh, our warnings about not sending us walls of text. Uh, by the way, we've started... Am I an asshole, Ben, when I do that? When I write back to people and make them <laughs> rewrite their email? <laughs> no. No, and no offense okay. to anyone who's done that, but you also got to realize kind of what you're throwing at us, right? Like, we're sitting here going through our email, and it's like, whoa, like... I think yeah. we want to help you out, and I feel obligated to sort of read everything because I don't want to like not understand what you're trying to tell me and give you advice that's uninformed. But at the same time, it's kind of like uh, there's got to be a way to pare this down, and it's so much easier for you to filter through the information and decide what's important and what's not important yeah. than for me to read it all and then be like, okay, so at the end of the day, I needed to know these three things, and that's why we think yeah. you should do X. Um, in general, don't make us. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, in general, the most helpful things are where you're practice testing, what your GPA is, and kind of what your what your question is. Yeah, I've been so Ben knows because I copy him on the email sometimes. But like, if you write a giant wall of text, sometimes I write back and say, "Hey, uh, love to help, but can you knock this down to 250 words and three questions <laughs> instead of like five million words and 29 questions?" Um, so sometimes I might be doing that more in the future. I was going to say we could also Ben create a web form with a maximum of 250 words on it and just force people to. Um, to, to, to <laughs> submit and, and within some restrictions, I think it might help. Uh, Ooh, yeah. If it had like that little focus. counter too, you know, just like <laughs> on word. Twitter. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> by the way, you're getting to your it word. It's turning max. red when it gets too close to the, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Lily did a very nice job here of sending us two questions with facts organized right below it and color coded and everything. This is awesome. Uh, question one. Do you think I should take the September LSAT or study longer for December in hopes of getting scholarship funding? That's the question. And then here are the facts. I'm planning to apply to two part-time JD programs, which is USD and Loyola Marymount Law School in Los Angeles. Uh, Lily says, I am limited to part-time because I have kids and limited to location because of my husband's work. I got a 161 on a practice test recently, and I have a 3.37 GPA, which puts likelihood of acceptance at USD between 89 and 99% and Loyola between 87 and 97%. She's clearly using the LSAT GPA calculator that you can find on LSAC.org. By the way, before you ask us what your chances are of getting into any school, please go to the LSAT GPA calculator and uh, figure it out for yourself. So she has a, I mean, she's a shoe in at both of these schools. Yeah. So her question is, should I take the test in September or study longer for December? The answer is yes. Take it and then apply before Thanksgiving. Yeah, 100%. um, Or before Halloween this year. Um, You can apply before Halloween this year. And I heard Anne say that, that she wants people applying before Halloween. So that's what I'm saying this year. Um, Cool. 
Hey, Lily, you are, this is a no-brainer to take it in September. If you don't score your 161 or higher, you can always retake it in December. But if you get your 161, I think you are getting big-time scholarship help from both USD and Loyola Marymount, and uh, or Loyola Law School, as I think they call it. Um, so, no-brainer. Yeah. Um, question two, how important are in-person group simulated LSAT practice tests? The facts. I am considering Nathan's online class. Uh, thanks for the free online videos, Nathan, and help with reading comp. Because I live too far away to do his in-person classes. I get anxious on test days, though, so I am, so am I better off trying to find an in-person class closer to me to better simulate test day? Thanks for your time, Lily. I have one suggestion for Lily, which is um, there are all kinds of free practice tests around that you could just go sign up for some of those. I yeah. mean, I I know um, companies that shall not be named that are mobbed up with uh, UCLA, for example, mm-hmm. and you can go uh, you can go take practice tests on campus like all the time. They're free, and so then you can you know you'll have to get probably some sales pitch in order to do that, but you can just sit shoulder to shoulder with uh, with other sweaty, anxious students and see if you're able to perform. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, I I don't I, I certainly would not take a live class just so that you can do the, the simulated practice tests. I, that doesn't, I don't see how that makes sense. Yeah. I, I feel like they're valuable, but the content and what you learn is so much more valuable. I think this is the problem we run into all the time, right? Like people are wondering whether they should take some random class wherever they are in the world. And it's sort of like, I can't even fully get behind blueprint and test masters and some of these other companies because i hear things about the way they teach the test including reading the question stem first yeah i mean that's not the only thing but i hear things and i'm like why 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 i had such a good impression of you why are you emphasizing this why do you say this and so then it's just like take my online class or Nathan's online class and get solid advice and improve your score that way. And then worry about taking practice tests on your own or with an online proctor or something like that. Granted, if you can take them with other people in these free settings, awesome, even better, but the content and what you learn is so much more important. I agree. And like the anxiety thing, I mean, you know, the best way to kill that anxiety is to just get better at the content of the test. Mm -hmm. If you get better and better and better at the content of the test, your, your downside gets limited really significantly because it's like, even if you have a bad day, you still score better than, you know, you, you, if you take some shitty class, they can absolutely hurt you. They they can make you worse at the test. Mm Mm-hmm. They can make it seem way overcomplicated. They can make the test seem way harder than what it really is. So, yeah, I would be looking for the what you think is going to be the best content. And then from there, you know, there's a, there are, right, like Ben mentions, there's, there's ways that you can do practice tests. I mean, get your friends to take what test with you. Have, a, have your mom be your proctor. 
one day, you know, and yeah. tell her to not tell her, by the way, to not worry about it being perfectly silent in the room. Um, when I give sections in my classes, I, I'm like noisy proctor <laughs> Inten- <laughs> intentionally, you know, yeah. like I do a little bit of walking around. I do a little bit of banging around. I do a little bit of typing on my laptop and I kind of do that on purpose because I, it's that your, your test day is not likely to be perfectly silent, but you can have your mom do that. And I don't know. I, I don't know that. You, yeah. I think, uh, I think it's not nearly as important as just getting better at the, the, sub, the substance of the test. Yeah. Okay. So that is Lily. Thanks, Lily. Cool. Um, one more? You have time for one more? I do. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hey, Ben and Nathan. First thing first, please call me Brown Bear. Brown Bear. Now with that out of the way, I want to tell you how much your podcast has helped me. Okay. I'm ready for this. Not only... <laughs> <laughs> tell us more about how good we are. <laughs> this wall of text is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not only in how I approach LSAT problems, but also in keeping me grounded when it comes to my future in law. I am currently at episode 81, but I go through about two a day. So I should be caught up in about 10 days. All right. Wow. Wow. Listen up, everybody. Two a day. That's the standard. (laughs) I can't imagine. That's like, that's three hours of us. God, God bless you. Um, (laughs) I have a question, if God exists. I have a question that would be (laughs) awesome if you could address in your next podcast a little about me. I'm a 27-year-old Army veteran. I am an immigrant from Mexico, fluent in Spanish and English with high proficiency in Japanese. So then we have Japanese here, and um, Brown Bear uses kanji, which is something I'm not super familiar with, but I'm pretty sure it says Ben Sensei, which Sensei, obviously, I hope everyone knows what Sensei is. Nihongo... I think that says Nihongo Hanashimas, which basically means, oh, Ben can, teacher Ben can also speak Japanese. (laughs) As you can tell, I'm a little rusty and I'm not really good at kanji. But um, you see how some characters are like really simple? Yeah. Some are really complicated. The the complicated ones are the kanji ones. This is basically you have to like memorize what everything means. Damn. But um, there's like a symbol for, you know, ideas. Uh, So it's not like you have to have a symbol for every word, but there are a a ton of symbols because it's not like an alphabet, you know, where you just have 26. So anyways, uh, I hope I got that right, Brown Bear. But I was an environmental scientist during, after undergrad, and then joined Teach for America and taught English as a second language to immigrants and refugees while earning my master's of education degree. Okay. I now turn my attention to law. I've heard your arguments about how one should not go to law school unless they're 100% sure that they want to practice law, but my heart is still set on it. I have saved up about 40K. I am not going to a law school that does not offer me a substantial scholarship. Great. Nice. I have my GI Bill at the ready as well, so I'm going to be getting some more financial support for my education. As money is not a big of an issue anymore, I wish to know how to best market myself without seeming arrogant or as a show-off to universities. Hmm. I do not think you need to worry about that. Nope. Compared to all the other (laughs) 20-year-olds that think that they've got like the most unique story, you know? This dude who 
was in Teach for America and uh, immigrant from Mexico, speaks three languages and did Teach for America, teaching English as a second language to immigrants and refugees while earning a master's in education. You don't need to worry. GI Bill, also veteran. Come on. You you do not need to worry about seeming arrogant. The fact that you're even asking this question means that there's like zero risk that you're going to seem arrogant when you write your application. Yeah, the people <laughs> the people who seem arrogant don't even know that they're being arrogant, right? It's like all the, you uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think all you have to do here is just state the facts and you're going to be fine. As long as you don't editorialize, if you just keep doing what you've been doing, which is just stating facts, you are never going to seem arrogant. You're going to seem you're going to seem like an awesome, very interesting candidate is what you're going to seem like. Yeah. And by the way, in your personal statement, I mean, you're supposed to be selling yourself. That's the whole point of it, right? You're supposed to be showing them I'm a good candidate for law school. Yeah. So you don't need to worry about maybe this is the uh, whatever Japanese influence coming out here, huh? In Brown Bear. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, not wanting to uh, really do anything showy or not, not wanting to like, yeah, just worrying about this is already very humble. (laughs) The fact that you're even asking this question. So, okay, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, I have a tremendous amount of life experience. Okay. You don't need to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Everything we just said is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't say that. Okay. <laughs> just say the facts. Just we want you want to show the reader, not tell the reader. Yeah. See, if all you, of a sudden, that's a that's a that's like that's a you, claim. That's yeah, something you're that telling. You're like, it's not really provable, right? It's subjective. It's you're telling instead of showing. Just just say what happened. Yeah. Don't say what it means. Don't interpret it. Don't editorialize. You don't need to ever say tremendous. Don't say I have a tremendous. No, I have a tremendous amount of life experience. We will come to that conclusion. I already came to that conclusion based on the fact that you're an army veteran who did teach it for America and speak three languages. Yeah. I already know that you have a tremendous amount of life experience. When you say you have a tremendous amount of life experience, it cheapens it for me. Yeah, it does cheapen it. And now it starts to like, really? It like invites us to challenge it. Right. So if you just omit that one sentence, because then look at the rest of this. It's awesome if you just didn't say that you have a tremendous amount of life experience. Yeah. Like if you had just started this paragraph with, I have been attacked by wild penguins in Patagonia while doing geologic research on the southern tip of Chile. I was held at gunpoint by the Chinese army in Tibet because they thought I was a spy while studying philosophy. I taught English in Japan, where I was also hired to be Santa Claus and was a professional (laughs) blogger. (laughs) Wow. By the way, professionals are paid to blog. And I have started my own vending machine business where I live. Yeah, you've done a lot of things. Um, You can leave out the blogger part. Yeah. That's not that impressive. I've been a blogger too. It, that's compared to getting attacked by penguins and held at gunpoint and even hired to be Santa Claus in Japan. I mean, that, how amazing of a detail is that? That is just such a beautiful, such a beautiful fact. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, yeah, the blogger thing, meh, the vending machine business. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship is pretty cool. That, that's, you know, that's all right. But all the rest of this stuff is just gold. I hope all this stuff ends up in the personal statement. Yeah, you although you do want to, yeah, you want to filter some of this out because at some point it starts to sound a little like, you know, over the top craziness, I think. Oh, I just think it's so interesting though. It just, it... I can just see, I can just see this, like the Santa Claus thing. I can see that being the deciding factor for somebody, you know, <laughs> like your, your numbers are in the, are in a good position. You, you're a veteran. You did teach for America. There's all this stuff that they want, you know, they want to hire you or they hire, they want to sell you a very expensive JD, uh, for all of these reasons. And then I, I can, but if you're on the bubble, I can just see any one of these details being like, Hey, you know, this is going to spice up our class. I think, I think it kind of depends on how he pitches it. Right. Like if he says like, after being attacked by da, 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 being held by gunpoint, um, teaching English in Japan and so forth, I realize that I still want to pursue law or something like make it seem like, um, these things that you're mentioning, I don't know which one you're going to want to focus on, but they're, not like being presented to promote you directly. It's more just like, I kind of have to say this to illustrate (laughs) where I'm coming from. I think that tone can make it seem like much more reasonable to say, to be saying all this. At some point you start to sound like a show off. I think that's what I'm concerned about. All right. I, I think, yeah, I, I, uh, that's interesting. I don't, mind at all to me it's just like it's just flavor and there's like holy shit this guy's like he's just not the typical 21 year old professional student yeah they've got so many of those and they're so boring yeah and so yeah i mean you don't have to put all this stuff or or i i'm okay with putting this in i just think that how it's what what seems to be the reason for stating it, I think, can come across the wrong way. I yeah. Guess. Like if someone yeah. came up to me at a party and just said, hey, by the way, I just want to tell you I've been attacked by wild penguins in Patagonia. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Like, that's interesting. And they're like, oh, and also I was held at gunpoint by the Chinese army in Tibet. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, dude. <laughs> I'm a loser. Yeah, yeah. The, the, that's right. Of course, it's how it's all in how you do it. But I I do hope that he is finds a way to uh, thoughtfully sprinkle in a few of these because it's just they're they're factual and they're so interesting. Yeah, you know, and it's just it it really does all this stuff really does uh, differentiate you, you from all of the other you know kids who oh they they <laughs> they did a study abroad for one semester you know and an internship and it's just like that's you have no life experience really, you know, yeah. you're, you're a kid. And these, those few years between 21 and 27, you know, um, Brown bear has done a lot. And, uh, so yeah, having some of that shine through, I think will be really interesting. Or how about all those people who come up to us and say, well, I'm worried about my LSAT score. And, uh, but I have a lot of great softs, great softs. I'm like, uh, okay. What are they? <laughs> I'm a paralegal. You're a paralegal. <laughs> That's a great soft. Anyways, sorry. 
All my, right. my practice test put me at around 160 and my undergraduate GPA is 3.35. Because I was not a citizen or a permanent resident, I could neither apply for FAFSA nor get school aid, meaning that I have a full that I had to work full time during undergrad to pay for it. Oh, that's going to that should probably be mentioned somewhere. Um, yeah, you could probably leave out the because I was not a citizen yeah. <laughs> or permanent resident, I could neither apply for FAFSA nor get school aid. Just I mean, say if you, you didn't just, have it. Yeah, just go with I had to work full time during undergrad to pay for my education. Yeah. Okay. I've seen the acceptance rates charts when considering GPA and LSAT, so I'm aiming for a 170 to give me a good chance at a scholarship. I will take the LSAT and the September LSAT and go forward from there. Uh, okay. I love being cool. a teacher. Good luck. Yeah, great. I love being a teacher, but the events of the last year have motivated me to pursue law to be an important member of uh, a community that lacks legal power. Um, the Latina, Latinx. I've never seen that before. Is that how you say? I feel like that's a typo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Latino immigrants. I've always, I always tell my students that decisions are made by those who show up, and I must do the same now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, should I go sure. through the whole process and not practice law? Oh, it's not a question. It's a statement. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Should I go through the whole process and not practice law? My teaching license will still be active, and I could return to teaching with a sizable raise. While I hope to not have to do this, I like to be prepared. So again, how do I market myself without seeming like a show-off? I know law schools want underrepresented minorities, bilinguals, veterans, scientists, immigrants, and I am all of them, Yeah. <laughs> side note, and those with diverse life experiences. Do these soft factors amount too much, or am I too much thinking too much about it? Thank you for reading this long email, and I hope to hear back soon brown bear um i think we've already kind of said that these things should be mentioned just um make sure they have it comes across the right way i think striking a sort of humble tone um can make a huge difference in how a story is conveyed uh i mentioned last time that i was listening to shoe dog by phil knight and he does a really good job in that book of (laughs) conveying his accomplishments with a very humble tone. Um, and so it's very easy to read about them and be excited for him. Uh, it was sort of, I guess his tone that he, sh- that he used throughout that book was sort of like, oh, and this guy came in and was like, we want to buy all your shoes. And he was just like, oh, okay, sure. It wasn't like, I got these people to buy all my shoes and I was so awesome and I worked so hard and I, I worked 40 hours a week plus another 80 hours a week and this just was the key to my success. It was just kind of like this happened and I was blown away and then this other thing happened and I was blown away and it was um, whatever, you know? So I think how you tell stories can make a big difference. So I would read it, have other people read it and keep refining it until it sounds like it's genuine and um, conveys all these ideas. Do you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, I just, there's a million ways that he can write this story. You know, <clears throat> I think if you stick to the facts, like you're saying with Phil Knight, it sounds like just mm-hmm. here's what, here's what happened. 
And if you say, here's what happened and here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, I think you're going to be just fine. I think there's a million ways that, that, uh, Brown bear, Brown bear is going to have a, uh, embarrassment of riches here on different ways that he can, he can craft this personal statement. So, so it's really important here. Is Brown bear a reference to something that I should know? It's possible. It could be a black mirror reference. Uh, there's an episode of Black Mirror called Brown Bear, I think. Um, or, uh, no, I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brown Bear. Um, that's pretty cool. You have a great life to talk about. Yeah. And I just think there's a million ways you can tell this story. Uh, personal statement really needs to say, you know, show some aspect of who you are and uh, as some answer to the question of why you want to go to law school. So, um, you know, sounds like you want to do something for your community. I think you can tell a little bit about your history and, uh, yeah, throw in for sure, throw in some of these details about the different stuff you've done. It's, that's awesome. Um, the PS here from Brown Bear says, if your listeners don't know, there are tons of application fee waivers for AmeriCorps alum and for veterans. So that's a good tip. Uh, fee waivers generally, you should just go ask for fee waivers. Um, everybody should just ask for a few waivers. They're going to charge you so much money to go to their school and they want to give you a fee waiver. If you have any reason why they should give you a fee waiver, including AmeriCorps, including being a veteran, including just not having money, uh, or including like you have a good practice LSAT score. <laughs> and because of that, they should give you a fee waiver. Um, Schools are, are like very generous with these fee waivers. So don't pay a hundred bucks to apply to a school if you don't have to. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. I think that that's about it for today. Thank you for emailing us. Uh, please do not email walls of text to help at thinking LSAT.com. But uh, if you can keep it short and sweet and ask us uh, specific questions with, you know, relevant facts attached to them, we will be much more likely to get to not only your email, but everybody else's emails as well. We're down to shit, Ben. We only have a 10 page backlog right now of, uh, of <laughs> emails to get through. Yay. Smiley so, face. Yeah. Sorry if you have been on the agenda for a while. Uh, we're just we're doing the best we can over here in thinking LSAT world, you can subscribe to our newsletter, uh, thinking slash blog slash subscribe. And anything else, Ben? No, I just, <laughs> my mind just wandered. As you said, we're doing the best we can. I was like, we're doing the best we can. And the best is just not that great. <laughs> 100%. That's, that's my philosophy of life these days, by the way, is just that everybody is doing the best they can. If we literally and are doing the best we can, then I'm sorry, we're never going to get caught up on these emails. It's, it's, yeah, a lot of times the best people can do is not that great, but we're, uh, we're trying. We love you guys and uh, really appreciate your listening and really appreciate your emails. So we're going to have to figure out some way, Ben, to... Uh, pare this down a little bit yeah but uh, maybe if we did a tiny bit of show prep one time we would we would be able to get like through these highlight bit. like questions and just or delete the ones we don't want to talk about yeah, that's <laughs> one way to get through them the thing is we do want to talk about all of them i mean we wouldn't yeah. have put them on the agenda if we didn't want to talk about them so um yeah i don't know also i did promise my class last night i told 
somehow the podcast came up and I promised them my one promise to them is that I would never do any pre- preparation for the show. <laughs> the podcast. Oh, well, there you go. We're stuck in a pool of mediocrity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. that's, uh, that's it. I think we, Ben, we're taking next week off. So, uh, it'll be a little bit while, a uh, little bit of a while before we get back to you guys again. But, uh, yeah, keep the emails coming and, uh, keep studying art. If you're prepping for September, if you are prepping for December, that test is right around the corner. So time to get in gear. Yeah. Ben, what's the, uh, how do people check out your, your, uh, online class? Oh yeah. So for online, just go to uh, strategyprep.com forward slash online, specifically for the online class or, um, Go to strategyprep.com forward slash free for a bunch of other stuff that are free, including a free version of the online class, a little sample there for you, and um, some other things, especially for those who are in the D.C. area. They can sign up to take a test for free. That's one thing we were talking about earlier today. They can also uh, sit in on a class, a live class, to see what it's like and know that it's a real thing. (laughs) I'm I'm not a total sham. And, uh, yeah, so um, bottom line, though, is if you just go to strategyprep.com, you can find all of that stuff. How about you, Nathan? Uh, if you go to foxlsat.com slash free, you can sign up for a free version of my online class. If you go to foxlsat.com and click on the classroom tab, you'll be able to see my classes, which are uh, both in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. I'm moving to a new schedule. I'm done teaching night classes, Ben. I'm out of it. I'm not in the night class business anymore. I'm only in the weekend class business. Um, so I'm wow. teaching some weekends in San Francisco and I'm teaching some weekends in LA and I mm-hmm. just bounce back and forth. Um, <clears throat> I'm just tired of my students being sleepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Night, uh, nighttime classes can be challenging for that. It's reason. tough. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give it a shot for a while. I've really enjoyed the the daytime schedule that I've been teaching in San Francisco. So I'm going to uh, try that here in LA as well and see how that goes. But you can get all the information about that on my website, foxlsat.com. You can also look at private tutoring options. Uh, Ben and I are both available one-on-one via Skype, and we both have students across the country and around the world. Um, You can look at that on my website as well. And you can even just book a session with me online if you want to do it that way. You can get right into my calendar and you can book yourself on my calendar. And we could be talking face-to-face in a very short amount of time if you decide to do that. Ben, same deal with you? Um, Or do people need to call you or how's it work? Uh, No. So there is a form on strategyprep.com. If you go there and click on tutoring, you'll see uh, that form. Just fill that out. Then we can figure out a, a time to meet. Um, well, that that form basically facilitates that. And although things are pretty busy right now, uh, yeah. depending on when you're available, we can sometimes make it work. So always happy to have people reach out. So Excellent. Okay. Thanks, everybody, again for listening. Thanks, Ben. Uh, talk to you next time. Yep. See ya. Okay. See ya.